Greetings, film freaks. We are the Podcorn Kernels. Join us as we discuss the hard and often indigestible truths that are at the center of the fluffy and delicious world of cinema. What's poppin', people? Welcome to the Podcorn Kernels podcast. My name is Adam, and joining me in your ear holes is Harry. Say hello, Harry. It's mostly chicken. On today's episode, we will be talking about The Descendants. This is a 2011 film directed by Alexander Payne and stars George Clooney, Shailene Woodley and Amara Miller. IMDb describes the synopsis as follows. A land baron tries to reconnect with his two daughters after his wife is seriously injured in a boating accident. Here is an original song to support the synopsis. The longest road I ever took was a one home to you. The hardest thing I ever heard was that you weren't always true. It's time to go. Oh, we owe, oh, we owe. Let's start with some facts, shall we? The Descendants was Alexander Payne's first film in seven years since winning a Best Adapted Screenplay Oscar for Sideways in 2004. He then won the same Oscar for this film. It's quite prolific. Yeah. I saw Sideways years ago. Worthy of a uh, Best Adapted Screenplay? Yeah, and similar as well. Like, you get that vibe, it's more about having a little peek into real life, like capturing real human interaction and emotions. There's nothing very film about it if you get what i mean Mm. it's more of a realistic little window into you know a guy's life before he gets married in sideways okay and it's just in wine country and stuff and it's more about like life and how you perceive marriage etc so a far more grounded story rather than a, a spectacle for entertainment purposes yeah, but both both looking at the dysfunctionality of like family. Okay. And the only way I could uh, describe his sort of body of work is family uh family orientated and realistic in terms of like how people approach big events in their life be it death or marriage or which I enjoy. I've I enjoy a lot, I've enjoyed most of Payne's films. Yeah, I I've only I've only seen uh, this one and Nebraska. And Nebraska is very grounded as well. It's mm-hmm. about the relationship between a son and a, a dad who's declining in in mental health. Yeah, you see what I mean with Nebraska. Yeah. You're you're following his plight, but it's a realistic plight, isn't it? Mm. It's dementia essentially, isn't yeah. it? Nebraska. So yeah, if I remember correctly, yeah. yeah. So he takes a very real life subject and he sort of points his lens at it, and you experience that. So for plot crazy people that want twists, there's not really no. Not there. I think there's there's value in relatability. Mm-hmm. So if it's an honest depiction of of struggles that many of us will go through, I think there's value in that. People can can see it and relate to it. In your opinion, what's the better film, The Descendants or Sideways? I've never seen Sideways, so Descendants. I me, mean, I've seen Descendants. This my fourth watch. Oh wow! It's just one of them ones that has stuck with me. I've seen Sideways once. I did enjoy it. I was probably quite young to enjoy it fully. I love Paul Giamatti in it. Yeah, he's he's really funny, and the, I think the classic line is he asks what wine he's being served, and they say Merlot, and he's like fucking Merlot, and that stuck with me forever. So now, ever even if I'm in a shop now and I see Merlot on a shelf, I'm like fuck that. <laughs> Where's the Bordeaux? Where's the Shiraz? Where's the Chianti? It's just a film snob thing. 
and I love it. Oh, cool. So after watching this, does it make you want to revisit Sideways? Oh, it's definitely Sideways is definitely worth a watch. Definitely. Cool. Yeah, I'm. I'm a, I don't know why I've never watched it, but I'm definitely tempted to to watch it after viewing The Descendants. Second fact, George Clooney was attracted to the part because he so often has played characters that have their act together. The character of Matt clearly does not. I thought that was really interesting because when when I hear George Clooney, I think of charisma. I think of composed, mm-hmm. charming. Yeah, and the fact that he's pointed to the fact that he always plays people that uh, have got their shit together. I really appreciated the fact that this clearly wasn't that character yeah it's true yeah yeah anything in anything outside of his law practice is a shambles really essentially isn't it he struggles to within the film yeah within the film struggles to to know how to deal with his children he struggles how to approach his uh, obviously his wife in retrospect so it's totally true and that's a that's that's an interesting fact i think that's cool that he was drawn to it for that reason smashed it in my opinion yeah I, i thought he excelled in this this role as i say he's always that that cooler than a cucumber character and with this role he's clearly an intelligent man he's clearly a successful man but as his world starts crumbling beneath his feet you can see he's losing a grip Mm. and within the film he loses the support of his wife that may have been the glue that sticks everything together and he's lost and i think it there there is something really charming about seeing someone who we all we're conditioned to think that clooney's got his shit together and to see that portrayal i think that was a a really good interesting and decent turn so yeah i was a fan of that yeah one of the first scenes shot was shailene woodley crying underwater in the pool in a november 2020 interview george clooney recalls i'd never seen anything like it clooney said he still keeps in touch with woodley stating i really do consider her my eldest daughter she is someone i dearly love a film like this it's a bittersweet film and that connection particularly i i really felt shailene woodley plays george clooney's oldest daughter in the descendants and alexander there a, yeah there was a real chemistry i thought well i'm annoyed at you why it's one of my main likes that performance underwater is striking but harry that's a perfect segue into your favorite things about the film so now you can develop on that point further please continue it's like when you look at Mel Gibson in Signs when he has to cry and eat a burger at the same time impossible impossible really difficult he manages it though and believably unless it's tears of joy if it's a really good burger Shailene or Shailene Woodley manages to convince and convey real grief underwater and then swim after expelling that water from that air from her lungs through expressing how how sad the news is that she's just been given that they're going to take her mum off life support so very early on in the film, very early on, the first thing you see in this film is the mother on a jet ski or like at the back of a jet boat enjoying yeah. life in Hawaii and um, it cuts scenes and it's implied immediately that obviously that went wrong. She has brain brain damage from like the very first, from the, from the get-go. Shailene Woodling's character Alexander comes back from school. George Clooney goes and gets her because obviously they need the family together. And she has, uh, it's a great scene because George Clooney's trying to talk to his despondent daughter who's clearly pissed off at events that have occurred prior to the film's dying. And just the um, raw emotion that she gave underwater, then swam. And I love that when she gets to the end of the pool and gets out, she goes, why the hell did you tell me while I was in the pool yeah. swimming? So that's really human. 
you know, most films would have left it at the the crying under the water and then panned left and gone to the next scene. But this one, they let her get out the water and they let her go. What the fuck did you tell me while yeah. I was in the water? And Clooney obviously was like, oh yeah, I suppose. Yeah, that that moment in that scene in particular hit me because that raw emotion when she goes underwater. I mean, like Clooney said, I've never seen something like that. Mm. Like you felt that real disdain, that real pain when she went underwater, and it's as if she she submerged herself to gather her thoughts. Mm herself introspectively then as she rose to the surface she bollocked her dad Mm -hmm. so so the film sort of symbolizes that initial pain and then she's projected that into anger at her dad even though it's not her dad's dad's fault but he's closest to her so he's going to get the brunt of that Mm -hmm. and it's interesting you mentioned Shailene Woodley's um, performance because I I also thought it was excellent yeah and her character arc was was really great and the common theme within this film, you mentioned it earlier with Alexander Payne's previous films, it's got that sense of realism. Mm. Her arc, she started off really pissed off. She almost wasn't... But re- not bratty. No, she was... She, there was... Believable. Um, there was background elements we didn't see and she was pissed off with both of her parents. And then you watch her trajectory going from pissed off, then even heightened anger, then almost guilt, then sadness. Then she goes through a roller coaster, as does the audience. Mm. And I think, yeah, she she was a stalwart in this yeah. film. I thought she was fantastic. I wasn't irritated by the kids' performances in this. I know it sounds odd, but when you watch certain films, it's like, my daddy didn't come to my ballet recital. I just want to break that kid's neck. Yeah. But in this film, I really, I, tra- I got traction with the daughters. Like yeah. totally, even the younger one, Scotty. Uh, I got traction with them. I yeah. think it's so well written in a sense that the kids can be funny and they're allowed to be kids, even with like the the, the swearing yeah. and the way they conduct themselves around their dad with like zero respect. But he loves them because they got character. Yeah, personality. That's that's and- what he did. That's what the film does. It re- it, it brought characters to life quickly uh, enough for you to like them immediately yeah that and that really resonates because they're all under a huge shower of shit mm-hmm. and they're struggling struggling with the events with them personally and as a family and they're all lashing out at each other because no one can comprehend what's happening it's so final it's so fatal and a situation i could never imagine the strain that would put on a father and his daughters and their relationship mm-hmm. So I think all three of them, the chemistry they share, and particularly Woodley's performance, I think it really steers the film in the right direction. Yeah. What other elements of the film did you like? I can't deny the class of George Clooney. Oh, and yeah. for me, loving almost everything he's done, obviously, I know he started off in ER, but the guy, is, he, the guy has constant on-screen charisma in almost everything he does. But this film in particular for me, especially how it's a slow burn in essence, and you see his character grow through grief, or impending doom, and the finale of his performance on the hospital bed with his wife, oh. where he produces a tear, is made, makes me cry every time. Yeah, like uh, it, it does to me what Shawshank or Forrest Gump can do to me, tear-wise, or the Family Stone or Philadelphia. I'm guaranteed to at least well up, and uh, this is the fourth time watching it, and it still did it. So yeah. uh, it's just I think it's incredible performance from him, and I think worthy of worthy of an award or a lot of recognition yeah for me Clooney's like a fine wine Mm. he's one of those actors that that seems to be getting better the older he gets and if I could have three percent of Clooney's charm when I'm 50 plus I'd be well happy he's so he's so good looking so charming yeah effortless as well Mm. like we're basically gushing over the man and that's a testament to just he's just the complete package isn't he yeah and I also thought it was um interesting with a troubled character that he can he 
can show the variety in his acting talents now because he's broken. And even though within the film, his character never necessarily loses his temper, he keeps his integrity. He keeps strong for his family. He's, you know, under the surface, he's, he's wobbling a lot, but he, he keeps that up. And I think it, it, that fine balance between keeping it cool and internal struggles, I think he mastered it to a T. Yeah. So yeah, I thought he was superb as well. Anytime he really got angry is there's a scene in it where his daughter's friend, who's a bit of a dude, yeah, is in the back of the dude. car and he's like, no wonder your wife cheated on you, man. He just breaks the car and he goes, you get hit a lot, you yeah. fucking retard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's great. You're right. There's an absolute palette of acting skills going on with Clooney in that film. But even then, in that instant, I know there was a few moments in this film with I put myself in Clooney's position. I'd have lost my head. Yeah. I would have completely lost my head. I lo- lose my head if I drop a fork in the kitchen. Mm. So in this situation, I would have been an absolute train wreck. And even in that instance, you could see he wanted to flip. He wanted to flip mm-hmm. and he would be well in his right to flip, but he manages to keep it together. And I think that provides a really layered performance of a very interesting character. Mm. Well, your fact about how he even looks at Sh- Shailene Woodley like a daughter. Yes, yeah, I mean, lovely. that's incredible because the it's very it's so true. Like, if you watch the film, that bond that they get between them, it's not a very, they're not a very cuddly, not a very cuddly dad and daughter, but they don't need to be. You know there's that love. And, yeah. Uh, it's wicked, yeah, man. Final favourite thing? Sid. Yeah, he's a dude. Sid. Played by Nick Krause? Yep. Played by Nick Krause. He's the light comedy that's needed at the points where you're just about to lose the last part of your soul. Like, he, he brings that lightness into the film. He's he's a bit of a stoner dude. He's very like, yeah, man. He's brought in f- to support Alexander during this hard time because what you find out later in the film is that he's lost his dad recently. So he's, the, he's there for comic relief. He made me laugh at the point where I was feeling quite like, oh. Mm. And I think that's good placement of a, of a support actor, like using someone to lighten it. I heard that that was uh, different to the book. Okay. So the film that they they use Nick in a way to lighten the mood, but in the book that's not the case. So I think that was good choice by the director to have a character keep it light because yeah. it's such a such a heavy burden. This film, in terms of watching a family come to terms with the fact that watching their mum die, someone like Sid saves the day, and his, some of his dialogue absolutely cracked me yeah. up. There could be a danger of it lessening the the heavier moments and and the impact of of a film with such a serious subject matter at its core but Sid as a character is layered enough that he's do- he doesn't lessen it he adds something to it because mm. as you say you find out that he's going through his own struggles he's, he's fighting his own demons but he's got such a sunny disposition that he's able to put that in the background and bring his friend's mm. um, troubles to the forefront So he's not there just to make you laugh. As a character, even though it's only a small part, there's enough about him that keeps you invested in him within the story. Mm -hmm. And I I, I agree with that as well. I thought he was excellent. He explains his role as well, doesn't he, at one point. He says, you know, I'm I'm here to talk about other stuff with her, to take her mind off of stuff. And it's good because I think that's true in some people. Some people don't want to be asked, how are you doing, you know, with the Mm. face. You know, you know how I'm doing. My wife's lying in the hospital dead. There, there, There is a bit of a twist in this film, but it's revealed to George Clooney when his daughter comes home that his wife was actually cheating on him, which he was totally unaware of. And this is why the film's got three plots almost, hasn't it? It's got the background plot of the land selling virgin Hawaiian land, which his family have inherited. It's got the 
plot of him locating the man that cheated, that slept with his wife, and it's got the mm. plot of turning off the machine of his wife. Yeah, so and dealing with the, the grief. All running together, really. Yeah, I mean, that ties in with my favourite thing about the film. and I It was just how it was an emotional roller coaster in the best way possible. It's full of ups and downs, highs and lows, and comedy and drama. It's, I found it to be a buffet of soul foods, and it makes you digest all of the feels. Mm-hmm. Like it, it ebbs and flows. Some parts you're 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 genuinely laughing out loud. Other parts you're feeling so deeply sad, and then other parts you, you're lifted by the comedy. And when the backdrop is the beautiful Hawaiian landscape, is yeah, yes. an odd ser- serenity to all of this terrible unfolding of events. And it's all so cleverly interwoven. And I loved that. I loved how the film made me feel so many different things. Mm. You mentioned Forrest Gump. That's probably my favorite film of all time for that reason. Yeah. I laugh, I cry, I get angry, yeah. I get frustrated. Like it's, full it's all of it. Yeah. And for me, if a film can do that successfully without ever feeling gimmicky or tacky, then I think it's a winner. And mm. that was certainly the case here. I also liked how The Descendants was an honest depiction of the fragile male ego. So George Clooney's character, he's more concerned about the identity of his wife's infidelity than the fact that she is dying. And anger can be a coping mechanism. And I think the decision to focus on Clooney's instinctual insecurity was realistic. Because I think, That's, you know... Well, she dies twice in film, yeah, doesn't she? Yeah. And in one sense, I guess you could argue it was easier to deal with what was going on because he was angry with his wife. But I think, as you touched on earlier, it's it's very realistic because from a male's gaze and a male perspective, you would hone in on that. You would feel you so affected. You couldn't ignore it. No, even though, you know, bigger picture, grander scheme of things, he's losing his wife. He can't help but focus on the fact that she's been unfaithful. Mm-hmm. And I think if you weigh it all up and you put yourself in Clooney's shoes, you would. And the fact that there's no closure there because you can't confront her, you can't get your questions answered. The fact that he goes and looks for this guy, that is the best he can do. Mm-hmm. And the way he holds himself in, in all of that, I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Do, you think, do you think it's honest that he wants to see the guy to give him the opportunity to come and see his wife before she passes? Or do you think he just wants to see the guy? I think there's an element of both. Yeah. I think, you know, being... Because he's good side. He has a good side, but he's also got that side that could be evil. And he does... Not evil, but he touches on it, doesn't he? But, you know, being a man with other men, everything's a dick measuring contest. Everything's a pissing contest. And I think there's a part of him going, so who's this Who's this bloke that she's choosing over me? Is he better looking than me? Is he, is he more built than me? Is he more successful than me? He ain't better looking, that's he's, for sure. Fuck no. <laughs> and uh, I think that was that was an element. And I think a realistic one as well that I really appreciated because men in essence, we're all insecure. We're, we all, we don't like to admit it, but I certainly feel we're, we're all pressured to act a certain way and to, to hold ourselves certain ways. And we're, we're all, I think naturally intimidated by our peers. It's like the alpha beta thing, isn't it? You're always trying to like compare and contrast and the decision of Alexander Payne to make George, Clooney keep his integrity in the film I thought was masterful because mm. it's a uh, it'd be really easy to villainize him in that instance but they don't they keep him almost pure and I really really liked that really respected it there was one time 
in the film note where his integrity is almost questioned. They actually go to the cottage where the wife of the husband that had been sleeping with his wife is there. They passively sort of let the guy know, look, you slept with my wife. I know you slept with my wife. Yeah. And it's almost like a, a threat without the, without him realising. But he get, they get the opportunity to split the two up so he could George Clooney can talk to the Brian Spears, who's played by Lillard yeah. from Scream. He gets an opportunity to talk to him and tell him essentially I'm, I've come here to tell you look you know she's dying you should come and see her and the guy didn't love her at all she was just a, a fucking chuck situation which just cuts into Clooney a very good scene as well with the dialogue between the two is really good because it doesn't it's not heat it doesn't end up in a cheap punch up it's just words but there's this great bit where he, he leaves the cottage and Brian Spears wife there and as they go to say goodbye she goes to kiss him on the cheek and he leans in and kisses her on the lips and just looks her in the eyes and he's, he's sort of telling her mm. He's telling her something through the kiss. It's not a revenge kiss. It's a weird moment. Yeah. It's a cool, it's a really, really clever bit of film, but that part, because it's it's very opposed against his character's nature. Yeah. And the fact that he kisses this woman on the lips and looks her in the eyes and she she doesn't like jump back. She's kind of, yeah, what's she, that about? I think she instinctively digs a little deeper. Mm. And I said to my other half who I watched this with, I was like, after Clooney's kissed her, He's, she's going to go in and say to her husband, he just fucking kissed me. Mm. And his response ordinarily would have been, what the fuck? Who does he think he is? But in reality, because he knows he's he in the wrong, couldn't chase him he'd down. probably have just gone, oh, yeah, well, oh, that's weird. And that's, by that- That's good film. Yeah, by that, she's probably like, why is he not going mental? This guy just planted his lips upon mine. And I think that, yeah, the film's very clever in that. That was good. I didn't think of it in that respect, about what happened after that kiss. Mm. I mean, yeah. I just thought time, like she, because she she mentions later when she comes to visit the dying wife in hospital, because Brian Spears' character won't, Brian Spear won't, and uh, she goes, "I had a feeling," but yeah. she thought she'd been feeling it for a while. Yeah. So yeah, I think my final highlight about the film was how it was an interesting portrayal at how privilege, wealth, and location doesn't guarantee happiness. We're all guilty of thinking life would be easier in different surroundings and circumstance, but life and its struggles hit us all. Mm-hmm. And again, the way the film plays out, it, it does a really solid job in in telling us that. You know, he's a George Clooney and his family are very privileged, inherit a lovely, huge plot of land in Hawaii. Oh, it's insane. Yeah. And even with that privilege and all the positives that come with it, something as earth shattering as what their family goes going through, families, rich families, poor families go through similar things all the time mm-hmm. at any given point. And I think it it helps the audience find the content relatable because it doesn't matter who you are. Tragedy can strike a family at any time. Yeah, and because the setting is so beautiful and what most people would consider paradise, it's all, obviously you see this story play out, it's still tragedy. It doesn't matter whether you're in paradise or not. There's a great bit in the film going to what you said about privilege. It's a Warren Buffett quote. He originally said it, but they use it in the film, but it goes, I agree with my father. I wanted to give enough money to my daughters to do something, but not enough for them to do nothing. Yeah. And it's so good because it, even though he's clearly a millionaire because he, he's trust trust fund boy and and uh, they own virgin land and stuff, but it's you're right, like his integrity is in... in in place and the tragedy is even it can even be more prevalent due to the fact that they live in paradise it's almost like you're ignoring turquoise beaches because your wife's still in a hospital dying yeah so it's 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 really shocking it's striking in that in that respect yeah the backdrop doesn't matter when the forefront is so fragile 
Oh, quote. I like that. That was really good. Yeah, thank you. Write that down. Yeah, I will. What um, parts of the film didn't work for you so much? Casting of Matthew Lillard. A bit odd as Brian Spear. Yeah. It's, for me, odd because most people would know Matthew Lillard for playing uh, feeling a little woozy in Scream. Or Shaggy in Scooby-Doo. E- exactly. Shaggy in Scooby-Doo. And this, is, this could sound a little mean-hearted to say, look, I don't think there was a place for Lillard as the, as the adulterer in this film. It's quite distracting if you've seen his body of work and now he's playing this, you know, this, this estate agent level headed businessman who's unfaithful to his wife. I think they could have done better in the casting of Matthew Lillard. I didn't. And he did any of the opportunities he had on screen weren't great. Like, I don't think he delivered like a really believable performance. I see. I see why you say that. And my argument to that would be that he's not important him as an entity, him as a character isn't important. He's literally there to add peril to an already perilous journey that Clooney and his family are embarking on. So it could have been a no one. So, yeah, of course, yeah, easily. I didn't find him particularly distracting. I just, I did just see Shaggy every time I saw him because I think he's quite good in that role. I just saw Scream. Yeah. I don't think he was particularly bad. I don't think he was particularly memorable or even particularly good. But I guess in, in the construct of the film... He's only there as a plot device to continue the story. That's what I mean. It's almost like, why go medium with semi-celebrity or semi-actor? That's not to degrade him. I don't mean in that sense. But if he's like, he's probably got 16 lines. Maybe. Only one point in the film. The rest of it, you just, you see a photo of him on a, on a estate agent realtor board. And then you just see him jog on a beach. And then he has his, he has his scene with Clooney and he's probably only got about 15, 20 lines. And it's like, well, you didn't really need to put cast that. No. You didn't need to get someone who's got roles in older, bigger, culty films. Yeah. Like Scream and and, uh, bloody Scooby-Doo. I just thought, you know, maybe give that role to an actor that's not had much. Yeah, an up and coming, up and coming, 40 plus actor that's uh, could have done with that screen time. I just thought, I thought it was just a bit of a wasted casting. Yeah, I feel that's valid. Are there any other things you didn't like about the film? Yeah, I found this really distracting. So, you know, the third act towards the end. Yeah. When uh, George Clooney's character meets up with his one of his cousins, who's played by Bo Bridges, and him and Bo Bridges are sitting at a the table. They've just taken a ballot as to whether they sell this Virgin Island or try and keep it in the trust. Now, there is an actor sitting right next to Bo Bridges called uh, Michael Ontkeer, and he was okay. he was the sheriff in Twin Peaks, right? Which was a really culty. Uh, yeah, culty series from the 80s. I've heard of it, never seen it. Yeah, it's got cult following, like, say, Wrath of Calmwood or something. Okay. You know, like, it's a, there's a there's a unique little crowd that loves It's got it. its fan base. I found it so odd okay. that he's in the film, has no lines, and he's put just to the left of Bo Bridges for the shot where they're talking about selling this uh, selling this virgin land. And it's so, I was like looking at him because I recognised him, but I thought he's not saying anything. And he's an uh, established actor. Not like huge. He's, he's, what he's known for is a uh, slap shot, like an ice hockey film. Okay. Just a dumb comedy. He's right there in the centre of the screen, has no lines. It was his last acting performance ever. He retired after it. And I'm like, why? Why are yeah. you even in this fucking film? Cousin Milo is his character's name. He doesn't have a fucking line. Doesn't say anything. He was a he was a cult classic actor character from Twin Peaks, and he's he's in a shot 
in the film. And I'm just like, why? That is bizarre. I don't know Twin Peaks. I don't know the source material that you're speaking of. But if I did, I would certainly find that distracting. Because you recognise him. Yeah, if you I recognise him. And if he's yeah. established within a fandom, that would be distracting. If you know that fandom or if you're a part of it, you'd be like, why, why isn't he doing anything? I know him. I like him. It, very odd. I never understood oh. that. Look, what I don't understand why he's in the film. And I didn't like that. Well, that's valid. Yeah. Yeah. You got any more things you didn't like? It, it occurs in the film okay. rather than, you know, a casting or, or a directional choice or something. But it was just that I didn't like that Clooney's friends. There's a couple in the film that obviously are very close to Clooney and his wife and they've been helping him by, you know, putting dinners in the fridge and stuff. When he finds out that his wife was cheating on him, he goes around this couple's house to get confirmation of who it is. And I didn't like that the friend, the girl, took the opportunity to say to Clooney that, oh, it wasn't your wife's fault that she cheated on you. Mm. That bothered me. I'm not saying you're, you're all people that cheat are bad and I'm, I'm not a prune either, but at the same time, it's just like, there's no excuse. Mm. You can't you can't say, oh, it's not her fault. You were absent. You were doing, you were doing, you can't, no, just leave your husband. You don't have to cheat. And it annoyed me that she was that, she was that very clicky type of woman who's when their when their life's going fine, they almost breed. They, she almost was breeding bad behavior into her friend. Yeah, and it annoyed me that she supported that living through the the misdeeds. Well, of yeah, someone else. didn't yeah. give a fuck about Alexander and Scotty no. and how Clooney are going to feel when they find out that his, the wife's been cheating. But she it was almost sounded like she was supporting it, and yeah. I, uh, that annoyed me. And it's and that's just a personal thing, I think. I just didn't like the fact that there's kids involved and she was like, oh, it's not her fault she cheated on you whilst yeah. his wife's dying in bed. I mean, you you could easily argue that's where her loyalties lie, but you're totally right. Like in that instance, George Clooney's character didn't need to hear that. Like he's going, as you say, he's grieving twice. He's grieving first yeah. the, the death of his wife and he's grieving his marriage through infidelity. So that part of it, you're right, it didn't have to be said and it just makes that character feel a little bit bitchy, a bit catty without really adding anything to it. Yeah. So yeah, and I, f- I feel that's justified. Yeah. To say it bothered me is, is a bit of a stretch, but an uh, element of the film that didn't sit so well with me is is how triggering it can be. Mm. Now, I know that's the purpose of a film like this. As you say, it's very realistic. You know, death is a part of life. But whilst the film is well balanced between drama and comedy, the subject matter and harder hitting scenes that could trigger people suffering with grief, illness or loss. It's very sobering, yes. Yeah, to to peel the curtain back a little bit. My partner lost her mum a few years ago and we were watching this film and as the film developed, I, I sort of kept a side eye on on her because of the subject matter, because it, it deals directly with the, the loss of a mother. And I could see as the film went on and as it as it developed, I could see that she was struggling. And by the end of it, she was in floods and tears. She she was in pieces. Of course, you can relate that to any film. You could be bullied when you were younger and watched the Joker and be triggered. You could be adopted and be triggered by the Joker. Or you could, you know, I don't think it matters on the film. Any film can tr- trigger anyone. But watching it firsthand with someone I love mm. and seeing them suffer through watching that, yeah, it is it is a difficult film. And despite how how finely balanced the film is between being funny and dramatic and how well handled and how realistic at its core, it is devastating. Did she um, add anything, criticism or, or did, she, did she, she enjoy the film? She enjoyed the film. And I, I think there is always, there's humour even in the darkest of times. Yeah. And sometimes you can only see that retrospectively. 
And while the film did make her ball her eyes out, it also made her laugh a lot as well. And I think that's a testament to the film. I think if you don't know what you're letting yourself in for, when watching a film like this, it can be really disarming. It could open up a yes, lot. Yes, exactly. It could- it's not necessarily a thing that I can say is a bad about the film because it does exactly what it tries to do. It makes you feel, it makes you emotional. And as I said earlier, it's that emotional roller coaster that, that is you, the audience rides it. It's almost a compliment, isn't it, to the film? I, I think so, yeah. yeah. Another element, again, this is more of a personal thing than a dig at the film itself, but it did make me quite angry in parts. Are you talking about the dad and, so, t- and Tutu? For me, it, the film highlights systemic male repression and the lack of support networks that men tend to experience. George Clooney's character certainly going through a real hard time and the poor bastard's given no support. He's expected to be strong and there for his kids. Absolutely, rightfully so. He should be. You know, that's his role within the film. But equally, he's got no one checking that he's all right. Mm -hmm. You know, he finds a little bit of camaraderie with the stoner friend who's suffered grief recently as well. But other than that, and at the tail end of the film, when George Clooney's father-in-law gives him a hard time. Robert Forster. Yeah, his daughter... Shailene Woodley's character. Alexander. Yeah. And Sid, played by Nick Krause. They jumped to his defence. Yeah. And which that, is that nice. was really nice. Yeah. I feel it is a ac- accurate depiction, but I think as well the world would be a better place if the male experience wasn't obstructed by those outdated beliefs that we should be tough, man up and get on with it. The granddad, who's obviously uh, George Clooney's father in law, also doesn't understand how to conduct himself in grief because he. He probably himself, he's a very old school man. He's like, oh, you should have done this. You should have done that. Yeah. He has to blame someone. And it's so difficult to watch him grate on Clooney and rip at him and say, maybe if you were, maybe if you'd given her what she wanted, she wouldn't have died and stuff. And she was my little princess yeah. and you should have treated her better. And it's like the whole time George Clooney can't even tell him. Yeah. Your daughter was cheating on exactly, me, man. Yeah. You can't tell her. And tell him. The film does a great job of that. Yes, it made me angry. I think from the male perspective, it's meant to make you angry. I think men can relate to thinking that I've got no one to open up to. I'm on my own here. I'm struggling. And I think the film asks and answers the question. I think it it sets out to do that and it does it very well. My final element is a lot more lighthearted and it's basically a dislike because I wanted to say the sentence, Clooney's wife was shagging Shaggy. That's good. I just wanted to say that. Like no disrespect to Matthew Lillard. And I know Clooney's character wasn't always present or attentive, but she is choosing a cheap hamburger over a premium cut of steak. Yeah. Like Lilliard mm-hmm. or George Clooney. It's a, it's a no-brainer. It's that thing though, isn't it? It's the unfamiliar that excites you now. Yeah. So someone, someone is a superstar model, most beautiful person in the world you've ever seen or laid eyes on, and then you're married for seven years. You and- want to slum it. Well, essentially, yeah. I mean, it, it's what excites you is it's, it's other isn't it? It's oh. alien. It's the great unknown. Yeah, it could have been the Mickey Rourke of now against Clooney. Yeah. You know, melted Yorkshire pudding face. <laughs> and it would have, uh, it still would have excited because it's the prospect of, she. I mean, his wife from the get-go, they've dis- they, they depict her as an extremely adventurous woman. Mm. And that would be anything, swimming with sharks, jet skiing, mountain climbing, anything. Maybe cheating is just another rush. That's true. It's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, good point. But, well but I, I like I like that. Uh, Shaggy, what, Clooney's wife, Shag Shaggy? Yeah. Nice. Literally included because I wanted to say that sentence. Yeah. I have three questions. Would you like to hear them? Uh-huh. 
The Descendants highlights a personal opinion that men don't tend to have a reliable support network amongst their peers. I know I'm going on a bit here, but it's something I believe quite strongly in. Do you think the film does a good job in supporting my theory? And do you think the focus on mental health in recent years has improved men's willingness to open up? Yeah, I, I do. But it's it's a personal journey that every man has to take of, of, at their own time and of their own accord. You've got to hit quite rock bottom and have at least a good friend or you'll feel comfortable in talking to your partner if you want to if you want to progress as a person or you want to get out of them deep holes definitely so um i get it some people aren't always ready to let the tears flow it is hard yeah. i'm still one of them people that when i do cry i can't talk like yeah. i'm trying when it, like, trying to talk whilst crying is impossible because i'm a right blubber yeah yeah i think there's a lot more out there now a lot more support out there and a lot more uh, tools to help you get a grasp of your life and maybe take control but you yeah you still need to sort of find it on your own time it's like trying to quit smoking or something you'll find it in your own time yeah it's not instant was that your question sorry yeah pretty much i feel like uh yeah so i just asked if the film does a good job in supporting my theory that men struggle with opening up and you answered that yeah, yeah. and if it's improved within the, I think it's the last few improved, years yeah. where it's sort of been highlighted more like it's okay to share you should speak up yeah so i think yeah i think like I think anything you answered it well like anything you know like the quality in the workspace and everything like it, that whole men being closed off and being like oh you man up you know that's changing just as much as um how women are treated how ethnic minorities are treated yeah they, they it all grows together doesn't it i think yes it it does feel like a generational thing like mm. as we develop as a society like i think it's it's now it's now respected to open up it's yeah. now expected for different groups to have as much exposure and uh, enough opportunity the same amount of opportunities and equal rights so i think it is improving alongside all those things do you think never nudes have the same support never nudes are people that will never get naked yeah from Arrested Development. Yeah. No, I don't Tobias think that. Tobias Finke. I don't think that would ever get the same support because it's just a bit odd. I yeah. think from a hygienic point of view, how are you going to shower if you've got denim shorts on? This is, I mean, that's that's a totally valid point. Yeah. Totally valid. Okay. But you can do your washing at the same time. Oh, energy saving. Yeah. But Money saving in difficult times. Maybe in summer. Yeah. I didn't expect it to go that way, but I'm glad it did. <laughs> there are a lot of hidden truths, secrets and withheld information within the film. What is better in your opinion, an ugly truth or a pretty lie? I think if death's on the table, an ugly truth. I'd rather have all of the spiky grenades out in the open to go off at the same time and then let me look at the damage. Yeah. Don't let me get fixed up a little and be like, oh, my leg's getting better. And then a fucking mine goes off down the road. Yeah. Your wife cheated on you. That just crushed you even more. Yeah, full I was kind of glad he had both quite quickly. Yeah, your wife's going to die. And guess what? She cheated on you. Put him out of his misery. Yeah. Yeah. He can grow, he can grow them limbs back now. And in the guise of two loving daughters. Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> I I, um, I differ in the sense that whatever the situation, I prefer an ugly truth over a pretty lie. You're very black and white though. Yeah, I, I, I totally am. And I don't care if it's a small lie or a huge one. I don't want to hear it if it's not the truth. Give me the truth 100% of the time. Uh-huh. That's just me. Final question. I consider this film to be both a gut punch and a warm cuddle at the same time. How would you market a film like this to potential audiences? So it surfs that fine line between drama and comedy so well. But if you was in charge of marketing this to potential audiences, would you advertise it as a comedy, as a drama? Comedy, drama. And can you categorise both? You say co comedy, drama? 
I guess so. is, isn't it? I guess so. But I think if you lead with a comedy, I think that it could be misinterpreted as, oh, it's funny first, dramatic second, and vice versa. It kind of is low, isn't it? So the funnier yeah. parts are first act, essentially. It's only in the third act where it really starts to grind on your on your on your butterflies and your and your throat that lump in your throat because it starts to become more well the film puts you in a place where you have to imagine essentially yeah that that's your mum or dad and all of a sudden their physical being is going to be gone mm. they're going to leave this this residue behind and yeah. you and neither of uh, neither of the daughters have had a baby yet or anything so they're going to hit these moments in their life where it's going to it's going to play on them forever. Yeah, but you know, there's. I think I think it's got a happy ending. There's this lovely bit. So you know the blanket that's on the the, the mum's bed when she's in hospital bed. Yeah, that's the blanket that's on their laps at the I end. I didn't notice that. That's, that's yeah. yeah. And they're all sitting on the sofa eating ice cream, and they're just looking essentially at the camera. Very Jonathan Demme. They're just uh, sitting there watching watching March of the Penguins, Morgan Freeman, yeah. and eating ice cream. And I think it's a lovely ending because it shows the mum has left her mark, and she won't be forgotten. But yeah. at the same time, that they're they're going to enjoy the little things in life, and I suppose that's why it's called Descendants. It's a lovely point. Yeah, to end it on what we leave behind. Thank you. What would you give the Descendants out of ten? Nine. Oh, I've seen it four times. I think I've I've said this before, but if I've seen the film four times and I've cried at the end each time, I have to give it a nine. That's just that's that that's that's a byproduct of good. Surely, watching it four times, crying yeah. each time, and. Yeah, I just uh, Clooney's performance for me was excellent. Shailene Woodley, I loved it. Like you said, cry, laugh, emotion. It's got rewatchability as well. I think. Yeah, not, maybe not every week. God no. Yeah, I certainly would want to watch it again after a bit of time has passed. I rated it a little lower than you. I did thoroughly enjoy it. I gave it a seven point five mm-hmm. out of ten. So that gives the total score a sixteen point five out of twenty, which is decent. It's definitely a recommendation. As I mentioned earlier, it makes you feel all of the emotions. It's heartwarming, it's heart shattering, it's joyous, it's sad, it's beautifully shot, superbly executed. And I I have got a feeling that on watching it a second and third time and picking up on on the more nuanced parts of the performances, I think it would probably, my rating would probably improve. Mm-hmm. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. Food for the Soul takes you on a real, as you say, inward journey where you put yourself in the character's shoes. And yeah, it, it is a lovely film with some really devastating moments. Consider watching this one if you enjoyed, I haven't even done this part. <laughs> what films would you suggest? Oh, Family Stone with uh, Luke Wilson and Sarah Jessica Parker's are really, that's very similar. It's funny. It's a light comedy, but it's also got a, a tragic pending doom. The mother has a uh, breast cancer in Nebraska. Shall we play a game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. The game in question is what the plot, where the rules are simple and the results quite the opposite. Harry will conceive an original idea from his big and beautiful brain and give birth to a plot. It is then down to me to nurture this thought by providing a film title, genre, cast, and anything else I can think of to raise this brainchild into a fully functioning film concept. Over to you, Harry. Film starts on an open beach, early morning. I'm going to write your whole bloody script. Do it. Jogging past a sandcastle, freshly made in the morning. There's a sandcastle. There's no kids. Who made that sandcastle? Why is it still pristine? The tide's just gone out. Someone's made a sandcastle. Jogger stops, inquisitive, takes their earpods out, walks over to the sandcastle, looks into the centre of the sandcastle 
and there be a dead head of a human looking up at the sky. They shock, fall back, cut scene, police turn up, they investigate. It's not a shark attack, it's not a boat. This body's been placed there, half submerged in sand, but in a sand castle. Anyway, they think it's just some one-off random killing. But what happens the next month? On a beach a mile away, another sandcastle. Another body in the sandcastle. This time kids found it. It's a serial killer and they they need to capture him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's not it's not always <laughs> no. gonna be gold. Listen, I'm gripped. Uh okay. That's what I got. That okay. is what I've got for you. So the moment you say serial killer, my mind goes straight to David Fincher. Nice. Seven, yeah. Mind Hunter, Zodiac. Yeah. That's that's his strength. Yeah, hopefully he can take that very cheap and shit storyline and turn it visually into a great story. Yeah, I think he could. He could ta- he could he's he's a master of his craft, so whatever the content is, he would make it work. He'd make it engaging, he'd make it gripping, he'd make it disturbing, he would do all those things. So just to clarify, the film starts on an open beach on an early morning. Um, there's a jogger, runs by a sandcastle. How is it there? Why is there a sandcastle? The tide's out. There's no kids. What? What's it doing there? Nice. Thanks for replicating that. Discovers, uh, digs a little deeper and discovers that in the sandcastle, there's a severed head. The head's been placed in the sandcastle. Um, there's huge uproar. Everyone's like, well, why is there a head in the oh, sandcastle? Oh, who put heads yeah, in yeah. our sandcastles? Oh, Leave it out. Don't put heads in sandcastles. That's not nice. <laughs> um, and then time goes past. They don't know who's done the severed head. And they find another sandcastle on another beach with another head. You said it just as unenthusiastically as I did. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm... They found another head in another sandcastle <laughs> on another beach. I basically did that to try and buy myself some more time. Yeah. If you can come up with anything else to help me along my alongside my journey of trying to flesh this one well, out, that'd I, be great. I, essentially, I'd prefer it if it was more like Zodiac in a sense that it's not just these old school detectives with uh, whiskey on their breath looking into this. I'd like it if uh, I'd like it if it was potentially a, a lifeguard or a journalist that maybe gets further in the case than anyone else. So not a detective, not a police officer, but someone with a really inquisitive mind. So it could be a fan of true crime. Could be a fan of true crime. It could be be a taxidermist. It could be the jogger that finds it, who fancies himself as a bit of a true crime. That that alertness that's already in their head. Mm. So the fact that they clock, that there's a perfect pristine sandcastle on an early morning beach and there's no kids there. And it wouldn't have lasted through the night because the water would have took it out. It's only happened in, say, a couple of hours before dawn. Okay. That guy, or woman, has an inkling into it. Maybe there, maybe there was a book that was written about the about sandcastles and the innocence of children. And they remember this book and they even go to the library to read about it. And then they start to realise that the, the book is the same book that the serial killer read. Yeah, I'm sold. I'd watch this now. I love I love thrillers. I love serial killer films. So that yeah, mm. this is bread and butter for me. I'd love to watch it. Cool. So I just um, didn't pitch it very well. No, you did. You did a good job. I think I would uh, to to add an uh, an element of spice to the film. I'd have performances from actors who sort of flip their repertoire. So as the killer, I would have Mark Ruffalo. Oh, because he's normally the good guy. He can play a troubled guy very well. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a, that limited series, I Know This Much Is True. Oh, it's great. Which was excellent. He plays himself and a twin. Yeah, he plays a, a pair of twins, one who has a lot of mental health troubles with bipolar. So I think he's proved he's worth in a more dramatic role. And then as the quote unquote detective, I like the idea that it's not your normal um, police detective. Maybe it's a true crime enthusiast. Maybe it's someone who tried to get into the force. Maybe it's someone that got rejected from the force. I'd have this as uh, Rosamund Pike because she did Mm. a very good job in um, Gone Girl. Gone Girl. And there was that Netflix original film that came out a couple of years back where she played a very similar role. Um, I care too much or I care too much. I I think think that's the one. Yeah. So to flip those two um, actors to do roles, I care a lot. I care a lot. That's the one. So instead of Rosamund Pike being villainous, she's the um, well-intentioned jogger that wants to get to the root of this crime has a, Huge interest. <laughs> the well-intentioned jog. <laughs> the well-intentioned jog. That's I had to say it. That's the title of the film. No, it no, can't be. It's not. It's not. It can't. Be. But then it's basically a cat and mouse chase. She might um, be following the police force around, trying to crack the case on her own. She feels a a sense of entitlement because she found this and she knows the source material of the book that you spoke of earlier. So I see it as a straight cat and mouse between Rosamund Pike's character and Mark Ruffalo, who's the serial killer. Um, motive and everything is to be explored at a later date obviously David Fincher at the helm a really dark gritty serial killer film you know he can do it and I would title the film King of the Castle see the film that critics are calling scarier than a spider in the bathtub at night daddy look a sandcastle oh that's really not get back to me from acclaimed director David Fincher Starring Rosamund Pike, Mark Ruffalo, and David Platt from Coronation Street. Are you going to catch this guy or what? I've watched enough true crime in my time. I'll give it a bloody good go. This summer, don't lose your head. King of the Castle, coming soon.